Hello and welcome. You are listening to Patrick Boyle on Finance, a podcast exploring ideas from quantitative finance, examining events occurring in markets right now and financial history to see what lessons can be taken away, including interviews with some of the most interesting people in the world of finance. To learn more about the podcast, visit onfinance.org. Yesterday, Tiffany Fong released the first interview that Sam Bankman-Fried has done since the FTX implosion. It came out on CoffeeZilla's YouTube channel, with the full conversation being released on Tiffany's own channel. I'll put links to both videos in the comments section, and they are worth checking out. Tiffany was kind enough to allow me to use some of her audio for today's video, where I can hopefully add some value by explaining how I believe FTX first began touching customer funds. We will look at how Sam explained this issue to Tiffany, combined with some important detail from the first day declaration from FTX's Chapter 11 bankruptcy case in Delaware. What appears to have happened at FTX is something that would never have happened at any properly organized financial firm. FTX, it would appear, was an improperly organized firm. It's my opinion that customer funds were likely at risk from day one at FTX, and based on the information from the bankruptcy court declaration, the precarious position customer funds were placed in was likely hard-coded into the way the exchange was designed. Now, obviously, more information will come out over time, but that is what it looks like to me right now. Now, I'll let you guys decide for yourselves if you think that this was an unintentional issue and can be explained away by the lack of experience of the team at FTX. They are quite young. Or if you think that the exchange was specifically designed this way by people who were fully aware of the risk they were exposing their customers to. So Tiffany had two one-hour-long interviews with Sam Bankman-Fried, where she asked for explanations as to what went wrong at FTX and what caused the $8 billion hole. Essentially, where did all the money go? Were customer funds simply stolen? And are the losses somehow tied to trading losses at Alameda? I'll play Sam's response in just a moment so that you can hear him answer in his own words. I have, however, edited the conversation down quite a bit for clarity. But my take from the recordings is that he mostly tried to avoid any difficult questions that Tiffany asked. He doesn't deny that there is an $8 billion loss at FTX, but he quickly steers the conversation towards discussions of liquidity and correlation rather than explanations as to why customer funds were not kept separate from Alameda Capital, his crypto hedge fund, that was run out of the same office as FTX and traded on the same platform. At one point, Sam describes the missing money as a definitional issue in in the recording, which makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Overall, his claim is that the problem at FTX, at least before the hack, was that the crypto market fell a lot more than he thought it would, and that uncorrelated positions became correlated, which is something that happens in every market panic. When you lose $8 billion of customer funds that you had no right to touch, 
market went down is not an explanation that's likely to satisfy the customers who lost their savings. Sam does say that there were failures of risk management, which there clearly were, but he also describes the overall problem as being a liquidity issue rather than a solvency issue. If that was actually the case, a Chapter 11 bankruptcy filing would buy enough time for the company to reorganize, pay down its debts and exit bankruptcy in running order. I don't think any of us are expecting that to happen at this point, but who knows? I'm only using a short excerpt of Tiffany's recording in this video, but every time she pushes Sam on the question of what happened to customer funds, he steers the conversation to the crypto market crash, correlation and other risk management failures, but says nothing about the segregation of customer funds or about what mechanism specifically caused $8 billion or more of customer funds to evaporate over a short period of time. If there is one positive thing I can say about him from this conversation, it's that he doesn't appear to be blaming the rest of his team at FTX. He does say that responsibility for these losses ultimately rests on his shoulders. So here is the clip of Tiffany asking what happened to the money. There are lots of questions about user funds and when you might have realized there was trouble. I guess just how user funds ended up being used at Alameda. A few things happened at once, and I absolutely should have been way more cautious and careful than I was. And ultimately, like, I was CEO. Ultimately, it's my responsibility to make sure the right things happened and the right things didn't happen. There's a combination of the crash in the spring that, you know, took 50% out of asset values, combined with a hyper-correlated crash scenario this month, in which simultaneously we saw a 50% decline in relevant asset prices over a two-day period combined with a complete run on, on FTX. Combined with the fact that there is a margin position on FTX that was substantially larger than it uh, appeared to be. How large was it? Because I thought it was billions. It was in fact billions more. And the combination of all of those put together meant that what appeared to be a extremely well capitalized position on the exchange over the course of the last six months became a, you know effectively uh, unable to meet its liquidity obligations uh, and then those were demanded at the same time and so it was a messy combination of things a lot of things i should have caught a lot of things i should have been way more cautious about and you know i both should have been way more careful in terms of viewing the risk of accounts, but also in terms of thinking about what a hyper-correlated crash scenario looks like. It's the oldest game in the book in finance. I should have been, I, I should have thought way more about what that risk looked like. And especially for correlated, less liquid assets, the extreme but plausible crash scenario yeah. was a lot larger than I had been thinking. Is this, are you kind of describing like the lead up right before chapter 11? Because I'm just curious as to when like... Yeah user funds ended up at Alameda. How and when did that happen? Well, there are a lot of margin positions on it, yes. Like, that's, that's it's a derivatives exchange. And that's sort of the norm, that there are open leverage futures margin positions. Alameda had a substantial one. It was, in fact, more substantial than I realized that it was. And then there was a extremely large hyper-correlated crash that 
tank the value to collateral and meant that um, it was effectively not possible to get you know, nearly enough liquidity um, in a reasonable period of time for the assets I had. And so it was, it was a risk management failure. It was a position that was larger than should have been, and in fact, much larger than I thought it was, which then suffered a massive, massive hit and, you know, effectively blew out. I didn't realize the exact extent of the position until a few weeks ago when we were frantically trying to figure out exactly how much liquidity there was. And obviously, that's something I wish I had done much earlier. And at the same time, over the course of the year, I mean, I don't know exactly. I haven't been, like, I wasn't running Alameda. I wasn't monitoring this nearly as closely as I should have been. Its position had grown on FTX. Now, there is some information in there which becomes a bit more relevant when we go back and look at the first day declaration from FTX's Delaware Chapter 11 bankruptcy case. In there, we find mention of a secret exemption for Alameda from certain aspects of FTX.com's auto liquidation protocol, as well as the absence of independent governance between Alameda and FTX.com. This one line in the document possibly explains a big chunk of what went wrong. In the early days of Alameda research, Sam Bankman-Fried made an awful lot of money in arbitrage trades, buying Bitcoin on one exchange and selling it instantly at a higher price on another exchange. This type of trading will have required very little capital and with good technology will have been quite low risk, especially given the high return. Arbitrage trades like this were especially compelling in South Korea, where the exchange-listed price of Bitcoin was significantly higher than in other countries. This price difference was known as the kimchi premium. The spread existed for a variety of reasons tied to financial regulation in South Korea, combined with enthusiasm for Bitcoin. This regulation meant that most traders were not able to take advantage of the price difference. Sam's company, Alameda Research, was one of the first to work through all of the loopholes and actually trade the price difference. In an interview a few months ago, Sam told the press that the firm sometimes made as much as a million dollars a day from the kimchi premium. This would have been very profitable in 2017 and 2018, but as time went by, this arbitrage opportunity disappeared as more and more people figured out how to open accounts in South Korea and trade it. After that, Alameda needed new trading strategies that would hopefully be as profitable and low risk as the kimchi premium. CoffeeZilla has reported that Alameda employees used insider knowledge of which coins would be listed on FTX to front-run their customers, in a manner similar to what Coinbase employees got in trouble for doing this summer. I guess that it's probably a low-risk, if extremely unethical, trading strategy. The Wall Street Journal reports that the two firms, Alameda and FTX, were structured such that employees of FTX had no idea what was going on at Alameda, but Alameda employees knew exactly what was going on at FTX. 
possibly allowing Alameda to profit from this information. The court document says that Sam communicated using messaging apps that were set to auto-delete after a short period of time and encouraged employees to do the same. This might indicate that they were aware of the possible criminality of their actions, but who knows, maybe Sam was just trying to minimise the amount of hard drive space used up by storing text messages. It is a huge red flag though, and there are lots of red flags in this case. A lot of Alameda's trading was, as I said, possibly low risk, with a lot of it being unethical and possibly illegal too. That is, of course, a different type of risk. One of the things that often happens with apparently low-risk trading strategies is that people leverage them such that they become extremely high-risk. But possibly Sam and his team decided that the trades were so unlikely to lose money that there was no need for Alameda to be held to the same margin requirements as other FTX customers. So while every other trader on FTX who was using leverage would have been required to post a certain amount of money as margin and would have then received margin calls as they lost money, Alameda, it would appear, was getting special treatment. Exchanges usually have a means of selling their customer positions as the customer gets close to losing all of their money. And this is done to protect the exchange from having to absorb customer losses, which can bankrupt an exchange. When the court filing says that Alameda had a secret exemption from certain aspects of the auto-liquidation protocol, what this means is that they could keep losing money and never be knocked out of their losing trade. This is equivalent to a casino where let's say they allow their biggest customer to gamble without putting any money in the cage. This will work out fine if that customer is winning money consistently from the other players, Let's imagine they have a way of cheating at the games. But if they have a big losing streak and the other players have been winning, when those winning players go to cash out, there's not enough money deposited in the cage to pay them out. In fact, the way Alameda was mostly capitalized with FTX's own native FTT token makes the real story even more like this casino analogy. Alameda were using the casino's own chips, or FTT tokens. They hadn't deposited enough money for the chips that they were playing with, and they were allowed to lose much more money than they actually had. And when the other customers wanted their money back at the end of the night, there were only worthless chips left in the cage. No money. I think that there's a lot of confusion right now where people think that a big loss occurred, let's say a few months ago, and a conscious decision was made at FTX to raid the customer funds. Sam seems to have been willing to discuss these huge losses in the interview, both losses that occurred over the summer and losses that occurred again last month, but he never acknowledges or explains the mechanism through which the customer funds went missing from FTX. It's my belief 
that there was no specific point at which a decision was made to raid customer funds because such a decision never needed to be made. The fact that Alameda, who's reported to have been the biggest trader on the exchange, was exempt from automatic liquidation means that whenever they took a big enough loss, which would normally require liquidation but weren't liquidated, they were then playing with customer money. Everyone else had put money in the pot, but the biggest gambler at the table, the one who was simply expected to always be profitable because they were able to trade with a number of advantages, which would be illegal in regulated financial markets, had nothing in the pot and was running up big losses. If we're charitable or altruistic, as some might say, we could imagine that Sam possibly didn't realise that an exemption from the auto-liquidation protocol, which was hard-coded into the way the exchange worked from day one, put all customer money at risk. He possibly couldn't imagine a state of the world in which Alameda not only lost 100% of his wealth, but then went on to dig an $8 billion hole. A less charitable way of viewing things is that the entire business was designed from day one to not only put customers at a disadvantage when they trade, but to also use the money they keep on the exchange as a cushion for the in-house trading operation, a heads-I-win-tails-you-lose situation. In a number of interviews and Twitter threads, Sam has said that he approaches financial decisions with little or no risk aversion. He doesn't think about expected utility and instead makes his decisions based on maximizing the expected value of his wealth directly. This type of approach in the real world pretty much guarantees that you will go bust at some point and usually pretty quickly. While Sam might be okay with his own situation, the customers who were dragged along for the ride against their will are likely less amused. Thanks for joining this week's podcast and see you again soon. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you're notified when a new episode is posted. Thank you to everyone who is supporting this content on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can find more like it on YouTube, on the Patrick Boyle on Finance channel, or follow us on Twitter at Patrick E. Boyle. Thanks for listening. Bye.